Well, Brent's a boy, Caitlin's a boy, Clark's a boy, Ryan's a boy, and Adam's a boy. It's boy, 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 boy. I'm Caitlin. This is our extra issue for Boys Season 2, if you couldn't tell from the theme song that Brent just sang. And I'm Caitlin. I'm, I'm Clark. Is, Clark is making catfish and collard greens. Now <laughs> you'd say, Ryan, I'm Ryan. I'm Ryan. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. And we that a, was a great intro. <laughs> a well-oiled machine. Well-oiled machine. But Adam, uh, I know we're going to talk about a lot of spoilers uh, in this podcast. We're going to talk about what we liked and what we didn't like. So do you want to take us away on a brief synopsis and then we'll get into the season? Surely I do. Uh, the second season of Amazon's The Boys, based on the series by Garth Ennis, published between October 2006 and November 2012, is another eight episodes of nonstop drugs, sex, and mayhem through a superhero lens. Pretty much everyone's got their own little storyline, all continually interconnected around either bringing down Vought, raising Vought's stock, or white nationalism. The, season, uh, the show's second season wraps up with Vought and Stormfront exposed, the death of another mother figure, the boys cleared of charges, along with new government office of super affairs and Homelander rubbing one out on top of a skyscraper. Let's dive in. Uh, we always ask sort of two opening questions. So the first one is, what makes the second season of The Boys the best? Brent. Um, so I think that the, my, one of my favorite elements of the show is the exploration of power. And there's a lot of, of ways that this, you know, really shows how power can be expressed differently um, from people who have superpowers to people who don't. But I think that what the show really gets about why we like villains and why we find them compelling is because their power is a constant presence. That whenever you're one-on-one -on -one with someone like Homelander, you worry about the safety of any other character who's with him. Um, and that by being able to have someone like Stormfront, who, whose presence seems like they're acting as a disruptor, but is in fact even worse than someone like Homelander, I think that that kind of uh, character development and um, you know, character building is, makes you know, the show just really interesting. Brian? Why I think this is the best, improving on the first season, and taking the source materials and improving it so much more than what the early 2000 looked like in unfortunately the comic book industry and like how hardcore it could be. I think they did a great interpretation of what that type of look and lens of superheroes could be that are inherently probably just problematic, bad, terrible people in the current day. And they translated it in such a good and interesting and downright fun way with some great characterization that improved on the first season. I think they did a great job of that. Kaylin, what do you think? Yeah, I'm uh, adding to what you just said, Ryan. Um, you know, obviously, The Boys is a piss take on superhero fiction in TV and movies, uh, but like all good superhero movies, uh, or uh, franchises, the sequel is often better than the original. Because the original, you've got to sort of like set the stage, introduce the characters. You have to have a lot of that origin story stuff. The second season or the second movie can just tell the story. And the boys really kind of did that. They just, you know, they're like, all right, we have the world set up. You've got Vought, you have the Seven, uh, you have uh, 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 Butcher's Boys all set up and now we're just gonna propel the story forward. Um, and I really think uh, in most cases, they really succeeded uh, in that in the second season. It really is a nice like part one, part two almost. And I like the way you phrased it, Kaylin, of the fact that you set up all the pieces and then all the pieces get to move a lot in the second season. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about it is that it was very fast, it's very kinetic. It also never lost and actually really honed in on I think it's overall tone and tongue-in-cheek nature. So especially with someone like Stormfront, um, they probably even further double down on, you know, zeitgeist or cultural events. There's obviously 
a lot of discussion in the U.S. nowadays around white nationalism and and just and terrifyingly so the memification of it, right? So like I think Stormfront's character in particular is amazing, and we'll talk character individually in a second. But I just love how they seem to nail everyone's voices, everyone's choices, and in general manage to make such interesting stakes with some characters who are literally as powerful as Superman, which can always be really difficult to do. So uh, a huge hat off to them and like just production value, everything fits together for me. And I, I just feel like this is a show I'm gonna keep watching because I just, I, I was addicted every week, especially after the first uh, three episodes. Um, so on the flip side, uh, nobody's perfect. What makes this season the worst? Kaylin. Um, so this kind of delves into what you were saying, uh, Adam, and it's going to sort of stem from things I really liked about it, but it really is going to be about why I think ultimately the season failed. And I feel I'm probably going to be the dissenting voice on this podcast. Um, but you know, that's a position I'm used to. Um, <laughs> I really did like the character of Stormfront. I really did like the show, uh, decided to delve into some very real world problems right now with white nationalism. To your point, Adam, about the mummification of it, I think one of the most terrifying lines is when Aya Cash, uh, who plays Stormfront, delivers, you know, I don't need 50 million people to love me. I need 5 million soldiers. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just shows that if you have intensity on your side, you can win, um, you know, even though the majority being against you. With that said, uh, I really felt... Um, the character of Victoria Newman, who is clearly an AOC stand-in. My nickname for her was AOC, AO Shira. Um, <laughs> and she is revealed, spoiler alert, she is revealed to be a uh, super-powered individual, metahuman, whatever you want to call them, um, at the end of the season. And she is the culprit behind the uh, heads that explode throughout the season uh, when it was the woman who was... Uh, in the CIA, uh, sort of halfway through season two, uh, up to the penultimate episode in the, in the congressional hearing. And what really bothered me about it was um, whether they intended it or not, and I'm sure it was unintentional because they just wanted to find like a plot twist at the end, uh, but it still left a bad taste in my mouth, is they were equiv uh, equalizing, equivocating Nazism with the sort of like uh, American far leftism of an uh, of an um, of an AOC, not even like going as far as like Antifa, which I think is problematic too, mm -hmm. of equating the two. Um, it says, yeah, Nazis are really bad, and we should stop them. But then this person who is representing, you know, good liberalism in this in this country is um, is also corrupt in and of herself, and uh, is behind a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't. I know they probably didn't mean to be so overtly political, but they decided to tip their toes in the water. And the show came out, uh, it started around Labor Day, literally two months before election day of one of the most contentious and pivotal elections of our, la of, of, of our lifetimes. And look, art is politics, politics is art. And they made this decision and it just left a really bad taste in my mouth for a season I was loving up until the last couple of minutes of season two. Fair enough. Ryan? Um, Kaylin, I yep. get where you're coming from, but I think what the boys is trying to do is trying to say, hey, what if these social, like this season was really concentrated on certain people in terms of like Stormfront is a big figurehead within it and being like, hey, she's a social media influencer. She's technically a social justice warrior, which is outrageous because she is a crazy fucking Nazi from the past. What they're, I think what they're trying to relay home is anyone in these power positions could be these terrible people that have ulterior motives. That's the only thing that's going to get political next year. And we can talk about that season when it comes to but I think the worst thing this season are the boring moments. And <laughs> unfortunately, there's a bunch of boring moments and they all involve 
some stupid ass parents that you don't give a shit about and you don't want to talk about. And it, I don't care about Starlight's fucking mom. I don't care. I don't care if she just went to Zales and got a new fucking bracelet and had to wear it and then it got stolen by a superhero. Like, I don't care. I don't care about that. I don't care about Huey's father. I don't care about anyone's mommy and daddy's issues except Homelander's when he's drinking a giant jug of fucking breast milk. That's the only <laughs> mommy issues that I want to see on this goddamn screen. But to Kaylin's point, I don't want to downplay what you're saying because that can be discussed next year, but I don't think it should be discussed right now. But uh, I, I disagree with that, but I want to hear what Brent has to say. Okay, Brent, what do you think? I think my problem with the AOC kind of comparison is that the way that they kind of set it up, she, she's, a, she's got the problem of being a relatively new character and um, they basically made a caricature of her. So like, she is a prop. She is, she seems like she's there for nothing but, you know, having this kind of figure be represented on the show. And I also wouldn't have a problem with, if they had like an AOC type character and it's the, it's the desire to have power that's fundamentally corrupting, that if you saw her doing evil things, that's fine. I think the thing that I'm with Kaylin about on this is that when you set up this kind of like weak uh, joke of a character, and then you try and have some dramatic, shocking plot point, it puts way too much pressure on, I think, your ability to maintain interest in that type of storytelling. Do you have a, a quick response to that? Because I do have a word. I, I do, yeah. It's it's just, I I don't think we should judge this yet because we know the next season is fast-tracked. We know it's coming out soon. So let's not judge this season on one, it, which is unfortunately just a little bit of the last of the season. So let's let them develop that and figure it out before we judge this entire season. Because I think collectively we all enjoy this season before maybe Kaylin was not a big fan of the ending. Kaylin, whatever you got to say. Well, I want to hear Brent's worst, and I want to come back to this because I, I can see this spiraling, but I really do want to hear what Brent has to say. I think, uh, you know, I, I'm with you on how the, the ending didn't really sit well with me, but I think probably a more uh, constant problem was the, I want to describe it as Joss Whedon-type conversations. Like, I think... Almond Joy and Fresca were, were sponsors of the show. And so to have so many conversations get so in-depth about these stupid things that don't really have like an interesting payoff. Like, yeah, you could take an object, reflect on how it affects your childhood, and then you like get some cool parable about this person's you know past and whatever. But if you do it like twice an episode, it happens every episode, and then there's just a fuck ton of Billy Joel. I really get taken out of the show again and again when people are supposed to be having more intimate moments. There, there is a interesting uh, a lot of the parts because I, I actually think there is a lot of monologuing on the show, and obviously everyone's strong at acting, so it like generally gets across. But I do agree that like some of it is written a bit more expository like a comic so it's like you know i could see a lot of these thought bubbles coming up while i'm reading a comic but watching someone actually deliver those lines that i can't just like speed read is a little bit more um difficult and i just wanted to jump in with my worst before we kind of get back because i think that could probably move us into an overall narrative discussion i was actually really surprised because kayla and i saw in our slack chat that you weren't a big fan of the ending and i was like really concerned and then in general what I found the worst about the show and just generally the ending is that the majority of the last episode was very formulaic. Like if you fucking get saved, you get in that goddamn van and you get away before the superhumans can come back and beat the shit out of you. And the fact that they waited around and hemmed and hawed and tried to build up this relationship between Butcher and Becca, which, you know, I think they've already done a serviceable job of saying, okay, great, there's stakes here. This is someone he cares about and yada, yada, yada. I don't think there was a lot of value added. I think it was a lot of padded time. Um, and so that was overall disappointing. It would have made a difference, Adam, given the fact that they can all move at super speed, that they were like 10 <laughs> 30 feet miles ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Adam, 
Yeah. Adam has a really Adam has a really good point, and it kind of ties in what you were saying, Brent, about how you were taken out of the show with these sort of like Joss Whedonisms with Fresca and Almond Joy and Billy Joel and all that. And then tying back to my worst is I think you started seeing the seams in the show. And you started seeing, you know, the writers, you know, overall did a pretty good job. I will admit that. But you could see where they were struggling. And every time, you know, they brought up stuff in the last episode, like Queen Maeve coming in as a deus ex machina, not once, but twice. Twice. They did this in a span of 10 minutes. The fact that you have characters biding time and making these tearful goodbyes before getting the fuck out of there when they know these superhuman who can basically move at the speed of light are coming after them. Um, It's just for the plot to get from point A to point B. And the sheer sort of cynicism in some ways and the lack of kind of understanding of our current political climate by saying, well, you know, a pox on all houses or a pox on both houses, which is what I took away from it. And Ryan, I get your point. I I hear you. I I think we do have to wait until the third season to judge it. I will definitely be watching the third season as I think all we all will. Uh, it's, I'm, I am simply judging it on the last five minutes of the episode, which is, you know, endings make a huge difference. If they, if a, if a show or a movie can't stick the landing, we give it a little bit of a, 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 a little bit of a, of a, um, a secondary or failing grade. So. Yeah. We've all seen Game of Thrones, so we know how that goes. <laughs> right. Uh, Brent, were you going to say something? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the main themes of the show that they kept trying to hammer was the cynicism, uh, the cynicism in um, the movie industry and um, the and, and capitalism and how um, they've got the promotion, girls get it done. And so you're supposed to look at that slogan and be disgusted by it and go, yeah, some fucking Disney type um, PR person would say that's the way we're pushing these people right. girls get it done and I think that the the point though that you have to the, the only way that criticism works is if the actual females in the show are better represented than the cheap hollow representations you see in other media so like things like Maeve always being a deus ex machina and just kind of constantly like suffering and drugs and nothing is really working for her. And it doesn't seem, it seems like all she's doing is filling plot points. That you have um, Starlight who suddenly switches back to being religious just because there must be a God. Um, uh, characters like um, Stormfront, I think were, were probably pretty good, but having that be kind of executed <laughs> Uh, and no longer going to be in the show. I'm a little bit disappointed by. Um, and then, like Ryan, as Ryan pointed out, the parents, like so many of them, just seem like props. They're 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 filler. I don't know, Ryan. What do you think? I it, it's it, it's it's a tough case because they are okay. The source material truly is basically like garbage it's insane crazy garbage it's it does not have readability at all in the current day it it would not pass as a comic today it would be supremely offensive so for them to actually take that and translate it to today which like literally stormfront was like taking to social media pretending to be a social justice warrior doing all of these things like that's smart writing for current like that that is actually it makes sense that they would misconstrue the entire public like to to get their means done with that said disney would be disney is basically this we we can all pretend they're whatever but they are bot it's botland it's it's i would i go there probably because i'm a (laughs) i'm a i'm a child of capitalism honestly but like I and, and what that what is that fucking restaurant called? I totally go there. Oh. Planet Bot. Planet, Planet Bot. Oh, bitch. I'm like, yes. Which I'm, was a, a little bit of a date. It was a very 90s reference. Yeah, it's like, like Planet Hollywood, but I'll give it to them, you know? But, yeah. Uh, with that all said, I think what they're doing is bringing a, awareness to today that is kind of nice, and they're doing it in such a good way. 
And this season was very much character driven. It was. I, like, yeah, I, I think well, they did yeah, the and job I actually, of it. Except I do wanna, backpedal on the parents, honestly. Adam I do want to jump into the characters. I think that's a better place Let's to, do it, yeah. to start since we've been talking a lot about, I think, the plot elements. Um, I think, let's just, I think we've been talking about her, so kind of let's go deeper on Victoria Newman, a.k.a. the head popper, a.k.a. A.O. Shira, according to Kayla. Okay, okay, yeah. Now, now it yeah. just sounds like A.O. Scott. It's like, A.O. Shira. <laughs> okay, so Kaylin, yes. I Do I want this to be her? No. But speak on why it could be a good way out, why it could be about it. Just, just speak on it, please. Yeah, maybe, Kaylin, could you do a fix it? Like, how would you tweak that character? Yeah, exactly. Make it more effective I I don't know how I would fix it. I think they needed to make a decision on whether she was going to be a talking head throughout the season or be a character unto herself. And they kind of, it was the worst of both worlds uh, because she comes in sort of halfway through the season as this sort of pivotal figure on taking down Vought. Um, part, of my, part of my issues, because I, I do work in, in politics, uh, it's like, it seems the show's creators have no idea of how this stuff really works. I understand they want to like apply a real world, you know, example of like what would happen with congressional hearings, all this stuff. Like someone like her is very likely in this world. Um, she's a social media figure onto herself, uh, is a, a great talking head on, on, you know, the various news channels, but is probably not a mover and shaker in the way we think about it in Congress. So that was like, all right, already took me out of, of the show. Uh, and then they didn't really give her any real character development uh, besides just being, I am here to take down Vought through the levers of government. Okay, fine, you're a plot device. Um, and this is why I kind of quibble with your uh, assessment, Ryan, about this being very character driven. I think it's very plot driven this it, season. Can, it, can, I, can I say something? I think it's, yeah. this is the epilogue. This is the villain for next season. So, it's yeah, what they're trying to say. So I, I don't think I, I, I'm I trying to what I'm, your I'm, reactions I'm, are, but I think there's gonna be. And I agree. I agree with your, like your opinion on this and why this shouldn't be characterized this way. But they are doing something, so it's tough to judge it before we know what it is. Is all. But because these are the well, last like five minutes of the show. But I'm trying to. I appreciate that. But I'm trying to lead up to like why I thought her character failed in general because she was a plot device real and then ultimately revealed like as like a, you know, a, she had a heel turn in the last five minutes. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, you know, oh. it just felt very, it felt very like we needed to end the season on a cliffhanger and, you know, like she's got powers, she's behind the head popping and then a Huey is going to go work for her in her congressional office it just felt, I don't know, uh, she didn't feel like a character. She felt like a stand-in for a nihilistic point of view the writers wanted to make. They actually, I know that, I read a review, interview with the showrunner, I think it's Eric Kripke. He, yeah. he is definitely, they're laser folk. They, A, they, to your point, they left out a lot of her on the cutting room floor, I think, because there was already too much going on. So I think that's an overall, you can certainly count that as a general fail. I completely agree with you that, like, as much as I enjoyed it's funny because like, I was like, I enjoyed the character as a plot perspective. It wasn't like her herself had no start or real stop to, to anything. We don't know much about her. Um, but I do know that their main goal in the character is a far more focused rather than skewering like uh, the, the guy, rather than skewering corporations, rather than skewering the church, they're much more focused on what would happen if a super was in the government. That's their like more, they're more, modus operandi story, I guess. And that's not the right phrase. Yes. But like, I completely agree with you that they, they probably made a foolish choice to say, let's cast and find somebody that's kind of like an AOC stand-in and try to treat her like that. I think that's actually what's ending up ruining it overall. That's but, the wrong. That's the wrong in this, absolutely. But overall, I don't, I personally as a watcher didn't take away the both sides are bad. What I actually liked too, and they kind of also... Sadly, it's, it might actually be more an indication of how they use female characters, maybe, is that their whole goal with a lot of that, that post-epilogue interaction is that Huey is trying to go straight 
And now he's still back working with somebody who's trying to fuck people over behind the scenes. So it's not, and again, third season could go anywhere. They could really fuck it up, which is easily possible because it's such a nuanced topic. But those are some very the clear motivations made sense to me. And I, I think you, I can see it, but I guess for me, probably not for everybody. And I'm not saying you either. I'm saying like general viewers may just walk away with that. Like, well, everybody's bad. Government sucks. Who fucking cares? Um, Brent? I have two possible fixes. One is take out the five seconds right after the church of the community, whatever it is. <laughs> church take the community. Out yeah, uh, take out her, her eyes being that milky color. Just completely cut that. Have his head explode. And yeah. then that's like the end of the conversation. Then you cut to yes. them being in the whatever. So that in the next season, when you watch that again, you will see how she kind of has this look of terror that Huey is in her office because she's worried he might have learned something. My I, second fix would be add a Nancy Pelosi type character who is also with her at events and is kind of her handler um, and is just like a shaky old white woman. Love Kayla? that. So um, going back to what Adam said about, I think, the problem with some of the female characters, the irony of it is the female character that had the most agency was Stormfront. Uh, a literal Nazi was the character that was incredibly compelling. She had motivation. Motivation was terrible, but like you saw exactly step-by-step, step, like what a, great what a great job the writers did and what a great job Aya Cash did, who's a phenomenal comedic and, you know, a serious actress. Um, Everybody else, even even Starlight, who I thought was really compelling in the first season, was just there to like drive the plot forward. I, I, that is that is so problematic to me. And I I'm sorry, Brent. I don't know if I agree with your fixes being what would fix the show. I still come back to the fact that That's this show. <laughs> this show. Okay. Well, this show. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll just say this then. Uh, this show came out again two months before the election and it delved into politics, and then it made a very cynical and nihilistic point of view about politics, and I can't forgive it. I can't forgive that. I just can't. Ryan? Uh, well, let, let's talk more about Stormfront, because even though she is probably one of the worst people we've ever seen on TV, like, she is the best villain we've seen in a long time because she is so inherently uh, charismatic, but so goddamn evil and unlikable. So like, let's fucking dive into it. Brent, what are you gonna say? I think my favorite part about her is that, the, as we talked about before, the, the transition from you thinking that she is here to shake things up for the better and as it turns out, she's so much worse. And I think that my favorite way that that is represented is that her name is Stormfront, which mm -hmm. I don't know is a very famous uh, pro-Nazi website. Yeah. And so smart. I completely forgot that until yeah. I well into her being revealed she was a Nazi. And I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like a good superhero name. But it turns out it's related to this awful white supremacy. Adam? If you want to talk about good heel turns, and I don't think she was ever really a hero to begin with, but yeah. like I found myself completely engaged with her being like, oh, she's going to fuck shit up. And then I was like, oh, God damn it. Like really, really well done. Um, and and I think it, it continues to go to show that like this, this show can actually do complex characters well when it chooses to invest that time and energy. I think think like, Thinking about uh, Maeve a little bit in the context we were talking about it, like, I, it failed because her storyline didn't fully, again, it was in service of plot. It, I think she still went on good journeys. Um, I think it's perfectly like, I love that they're, you know, sadly it's a fighting relationship between, on, ongoing relationship between queer women. But I think it really did bring up a lot of the same topics we normally see and it's still done well. Like, Nothing really fully stood out, but Stormfront's journey overall, just absolutely incredible. And I, I know that I consistently joke that Aya Cash just plays herself in every single role and she's 
very Fantastica, though, regardless. <laughs> uh, Brent. No, 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 Kaylin. No, Kaylin. Yeah, I kind of, I loved, again, just saying again, I thought Aya Cash was phenomenal. Stormfront was a great villain, but they heavily foreshadowed it besides her name. <laughs> her outfit is straight up like SS garb with a yeah, cape. I totally. mean, like, I'm like, as soon as she popped up, like, oh, she's a Nazi. Um, so, I mean, like the reveal wasn't, the reveal wasn't so, oh my God. No, it was right. more like, no, it was no more one was like, shocked, it, yeah. But it was I'm more sorry. like, <laughs> it was it was more like um, that you saw every step of the way where like everything she did made a ton of sense. It was in service of both character and plot. She was, again, I can't believe I'm saying this about a Nazi. She was the most successful part of the season. Correct. She really, yeah. she really was. Um, and it just, uh, it kind of annoys me that the other uh, uh, female characters weren't because now I just thought about it. Like when you said, you know, with Maeve and her lesbian storyline, the two, the two instances of homosexuality we've seen in this show are Maeve fighting with her girlfriend, Elena, and then in season one, who's the stretchy guy again? Uh, the Ezekiel. really religious guy? Yeah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Yeah, like he is a, you know, uh, I mean, it's the stereotype of the homophobe being, you know, gay himself. It's like, cool, those are the two representations of LGBTQ that we've seen on the show. Well, and I, I will awesome. say, just to play off of that though, I don't think there was, I don't think there was anything necessarily inherently bad to Maeve's traumatic experiences. Like, I, I think it's, we, I mean, obviously you should always consider consider to ask for continued representation. I don't, there was nothing wrong with her girlfriend. I don't think there was anything particularly wrong with Maeve. I think it was due to the situations around them, both themselves as individual characters, I thought were- they weren't, char like, they weren't characters, they were plot devices. That's fucking bullshit. Maeve literally went up and down based on her girlfriend discovering the footage Having, I can agree with you that Elena was certainly more of a serviceable partner, but I think it's also unfair to say that every single, like there, there are straight relationships that fail on TV shows constantly because the partner is always just a stand in. Like you think- It of, wasn't, it's not that the relationship, it's not that the relationship failed. I think that's, that's perfectly valid. I think it, Maeve was there to be like, do point A, point B, point C, point D. You saw like her going from being a reluctant part of the seven to struggling to like becoming, you know, the, the face of lesbianism for Vought and then ultimately doing the anti heel turn at the end. It was, that wasn't character to me. It was just to get from point A to point you, B to point C to point you C. And you literally described development. You said she was here, then she went here. Now she felt like this. And then that, she turned the, around and did this. That's not development. That's plot. No, it's not. That's a complete arc for the character. You literally said she started out embedded to the seven and then ended up at the end of the season, flipped reverse with a different perspective on how to approach her job. I don't know yeah. how you can, I can agree with you on, on Newman, but I don't know how you can, how you can contextualize that as plot development. Yeah, I don't want to get too writery on everyone, but like every story is, is plot and character. So the degree to which Kaylin is saying, that's just plot. What he's really saying is that if you want to think of that as being good character development, it's not because it feels so inherently tied to what the scene or the moment requires. Rather exactly than right. Perhaps some dialogue that really felt like the character was actually motivated by something. Or, I'll give a good... Or by the fact I, that... It, I, I, I will say, like, she was, she was literally taken down this entire season. Like, she was feeling high. She was still supporting Homelander. And then she slowly got to this point where she like lost literally everything. And yeah, you can make a comment of like, maybe she appeared <laughs> at like every fight scene when she was needed, which is true. But she did actually develop as a person and she's on Starlight's side at the fucking end. So like that is a whole development. That is a character arc. Yeah, right. so I'd say as a problem... Uh, maybe you could explain it to me, but I didn't understand. So part of Maeve's thing is that she is, um, you know, terrified of Homelander. She was originally worried about coming out. Uh, she was worried about her partner being harmed in some way. Um, and she had tons of regrets about all the things that she's done. <clears throat> and she sees a new person coming into this world 
and she does want to protect them. What was hard for me uh, watching her was that there, there was nothing I saw before or after she would jump into a scene that would tell me, oh, this is the reason why she decided to help Starlight this time. Or this is the reason why yeah. she was there for both the Stormfront and it's, the Homelander fight. That, that, it wasn't Starlight specifically. It was literally her, her as a person was changing through her relationship with her girlfriend and her relationship with the Seven. So she was changing and she wanted to do some good because after one of the most traumatizing things ever, that fucking airplane ride was like, she yeah. was like, I have actual trauma and I want to try to be a better person. I, Kaylin. Sorry. I, I think maybe um, I'll, I'll provide one more example or and then provide a counter example uh, of how I think character development did work well in a show. One, I think maybe it comes down to the fact that I didn't think the actress playing Maeve was terribly good. I think she was serviceable, but compared to the actor who played Homelander and Aya Cash, who played um, Stormfront, uh, like she was just sort of outacted by like these sort of titans themselves. A there. good example of character development in the show is between Kamiko and, uh, and her brother. Yeah. I think, you know, you have, uh, um, you know, br you brought in, uh, um, I can't remember his name, the character's name, uh, okay. but he came in as like a super terrorist, super villain. And clearly, you know, like you, it's revealed in the second or third episode as her brother. And then when they capture him and they have him on that yacht and like the, just the interaction that uh, the two of them have, I'm like, I immediately got their relationship. And like, he wasn't in the first season. He's not even in the show all that much. And he's killed halfway through the season by Stormfront. But like, I understood exactly who he was and how he related to Kimiko. I, I, thought, I thought it was just, I thought it was a lovely bit of character development in the show. Until they refrigerated Kenji so that Kimiko had motivation for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, but he's a guy somewhere. I know, I know. But uh, so yeah, things are getting really heated about the boys. So why don't we all just do our best bully butcher impressions? Oh, you fucking con. Oh, you fucking con. I, oh, what is it? I can't do it. I can't do it. Wait, no, you <laughs> do it. Let me see. If I, yeah, okay. Oh, you and you little girl. Well, you do it, you girl. You little, you girl, you gotta go to the. The th are you going to win? I don't know. <laughs> I, was, I feel like we were like, doing this so well, Brett, we were doing it over the weekend. Uh, why do you Michael sound like Michael Caine? It's me. Like something stuck it's in me, throat. Billy Butcher. It's, also, it's oh, also one of those accents that you have to say oi right oi, before. Oi. Ryan, you Oh, wait. I, yeah. yeah, you got to find your place. You got to find your word. You know what I mean? Oh, oh. Kalen, do it. Ryan, you're fucking cunt i'm gonna fuck you like the pig that you are okay Get the fuck that was out of an actual way. scene of ryan from the boys congrats yeah. that was yeah. great can i tell a quick uh, pig story yeah so uh, i don't want to know about your sex life i went uh i went uh to a cabin trip with my brothers uh we did acid and then the next day uh, my brothers wanted to watch the newest episode of the boys and it was the episode where they go to his aunt's house and uh, at one, you know, it's super violent. And my stepbrother Drew um, was very confused by the show because he had not seen any of it. And he was also very confused why we wanted to watch that while we were like super hungover and it was on. <laughs> but there's the scene where Huey has the like the plush toy, and um, <laughs> the aunt goes, "That's Killer's fuck pig," and he's like, "What? That's his fuck pig." And I go, that's what Tristan is for me. And no one laughed. And Drew just quietly said, who is that joke for? Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of us, thousands of, or hundreds of miles away are all just laughing because we sensed you tell that joke. That's his fuck piece. It's for us. Um, can you can think I talk about can... a character that I want to talk about? Yes. Yeah. The, the deep and how... We're talking about are they are they being developed as a character? Are, what is their plot like? What are they? The deep has not received any sort of anything, and he never will because he's a terrible person. Um, speak on him though, because he's quite interesting to watch. Um, Brent, you go first. That's this kind of flailing elbow. Uh, I do think he's like it's. I don't hate seeing him in scenes. Um, yeah. He is just a kind of 
punching bag. I, I, my worry, my worry is that the show is kind of trying to put a large enough amount of time in the audience's mind between how horrendous his actions were and him being able to yeah. do something else. Totally agree. And yeah. Yeah. look, I mean, like there is a part of the show that you you are going to see people doing wicked things. But I think that there's kind of an ethos to the show that like, if that stuff is brought out into the light, there is a certain sense in which people as a group will not tolerate it. But maybe that's not true. Kalen? Yeah, I think the show needs to decide whether they, they want to give him a redemptive arc or make him the comic relief because he's somewhere in between the two. And like, I, like, I think Chase, Chase Crawford is the actor, yep. right? Uh, yeah, I think he he's is. great. You he's know. very, you well, know. one, he's very, very easy on the eyes. Uh, yes. And then, but two, I think his comedic timing is wonderful. So I do enjoy his scenes. It's just like, oh, where is this going? I actually felt uh, A-Train's sort of uh, quote unquote redemption worked really well because I understood the motivation. It's like, he hates Stormfront. He's like, I'm a, I'm a piece of shit, but she's an actual racist and a Nazi. Right. And I, like, I want to get back in the seven, so I'm going to help y'all take her down. I was like, completely understand this. This yeah. makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, right. Kaylin, Kaylin, I disagree, but in a more fun way this time, because <laughs> I, I think he should remain in limbo at all times. He never establishes himself ever, because there's literally just those fuck-ups that exist in the world, and it's fun to fucking watch him be even more like he at this point he is just sad remember when he summoned a whale and there was literally <laughs> a boat that went through it like he yeah. is just a complete fuck up and i'm so I, here for it but I, I do but i do think i know where he's going with his story arc uh what were you gonna say caitlin though you had a comment yeah, just one, one thing really quickly my favorite thing about him is him trying to save an animal and it failing miserably yeah like the dolphin in the first season the lobster in the first season which was probably <laughs> one of my favorite comedic scenes uh and then the whale uh in this season which was pretty fucking gross but i want him to do that like being able to sort of help see creatures and then just having them killed in the worst ways possible the fact right? that the show will always go back to making fun of Aquaman for being able to talk to fish. <laughs> that the fish that he got from A-Train, he's like, he knows my name. Uh, it's so pathetic. It is just so sad. Right? Yeah. It's, it's just so fun. Um, he He's the worst. He Should he never be in it again? Yes. But should he be, always be there? Yes. Um, I do think because that cult leader is now fucking dead i think he has the personality to become the new cult leader of that church i think yeah i feel like they were definitely priming him of that pump and i think that was also probably part of his last scene as like an exit of like fuck this place fuck you i'm done and then the first thing that happens is you know he gets, first, he gets pulled in exactly yeah um and I, also I, he's got such a like there's such a cult i've been watching a lot of cult documentaries lately and um <laughs> there's such a cult uh, leader uh, style to him. He's very attractive, probably has a huge penis and he just is manipulative. Like, he's just so crazy. You know he's going to take a change so easy. So easy that he can mold to anything we want in this season. So I'm excited for his story. Um, how did Never you get all, back on the seven. How did you all feel about uh, Lamplighter? Uh, so I, I've always had a big crush on, I think, Sean Ashmore. Is that his name? The guy who played, he was Iceman first and now he's Lamplighter. Is it, is it him? Is it him or is it his straight brother? Because he has an identical twin that's a straight brother. This isn't that's a joke. Right. Wait, now I want to see. I don't know oh, which one actually, is which. I always loved him because he was dead. Okay, you look that up, but yeah, I, I, I think I was very shocked at his story arc. I wasn't expecting him to show up, and when he did, I didn't expect him to actually have as much characterization as he did. What do you think, Kaylin? Yeah, I uh, thank you for pointing out who he was because I was like, where have I seen him before? I'm like, oh, it's fucking yeah. Iceman. No, it is. Yeah, like, it's, the, it it's is. the gay one. It's the gay okay. one. That's what I thought. Okay. There was, that's the joke. there's two. Like, He's playing fire and ice, which I thought was amazing. Yeah, um, I, I was, 
I had heard that he was going to come back in the second season, and I felt like I needed to see more about his sorrow about what happened for his storyline to make sense. But I ultimately, I kind of like the culmination of his arc where you think he's going on a redemptive arc and ultimately he's just there. He goes back to Vought Towers to kill himself in the most dramatic fashion possible. I'm like, okay, now, yeah, yeah I, this makes sense. I got it. I, I enjoyed his overall turn. I agree that like, I do, it's interesting because usually I'm not that, I don't have that many problems with like an overstuffed season, but this season was definitely overstuffed. It was like a lot. That's why, I was, like I said in that recap, but like everyone, the first season, and it's funny because I went back to our, our first season recap kind of uh, agenda and just discussion. And like, you really had just the, you had everyone kind of had their own little journeys, but uh, it was Starlight and it was Huey and that was it. Whereas in this season, I think it was like everyone, everyone they could possibly find, whether by plot or by character, they were going to have some sort of movement, motivation or change, which I appreciate. But sometimes it did. I don't, to your point, Kaylin, I can totally see like not every one of these journeys really pays off fully because it's almost, it's almost like its own movie, essentially, rather than like real intermixed start and stops for, uh, for characters and plots. Brent? Yeah, I think that while it does have, it has a lot going on and maybe some decompression might have worked for it. I do think that there are a lot of parts of it where it was very nicely distilled. So yeah. Kamiko and her brother's relationship, I thought yeah. they did a great job acting. They had relatively simple dialogue, but it, it was, I thought it was very moving. Um, and then um, the whole insane asylum complex and that's existence and how I think that it's, a, it's an excellent addition to the Vought criminal empire. It makes a lot of sense. It's a good way to introduce, reintroduce Lamplighter. But also, you know, now we've got this new telepath or telekinetic person who's out in the world. Uh, she'll be a villain in the next season, surely. Right. But mm -hmm. because it's kind of open-ended, there's the possibility that there are tons of others who are in the same institution who might show up later. And I think that that's a good way of kind of setting the seeds for what can happen, you know, without, you know, ruining any characterization. Nice. Uh, last new character, then let's talk about some of our returning characters' journeys. I know we did a little bit of that already, but what did you all think of Stan Edgar, Giancarlo Esposito? He kind of plays the same character in every role, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. but I, I'm here for it. Like, I, he does, the uh, cold, calculating, smarmy, intelligent, you know, super villain, uh, or uh, like the kind of kingpin type villain really, really well. And his suits are just amazing. I mean, they were just gorgeous. <laughs> I was like, God damn, the man can dress. Yeah, totally agree with you, Kayla. It's just like, I was waiting for stormtroopers to enter as he like talked at <laughs> right. all times, because he, he is literally the same person, but he is such a commanding force that you're like, wow, well, now I'm worried. Because it's very rare that you feel like Homelander can feel threatened, and he fucking did it. So I appreciate him quite a bit. Brent? Yeah, so to add to that, I think that, you know, his first one-on-one -on -one interaction with Homelander in this season was an illustration of the way the show gets some of the nuance of power right, which is that he says, you know, you, you think, Homelander, you're the product. You're not the product. We're a pharmaceutical company. And mm -hmm. in that entire inter interaction, he really showed, you know, that even though I don't have, I can't punch through walls or use lasers, you can't harm me. I have leverage against you. So, you know, shut up, enjoy the meal ticket and get the fuck out of my sight. Um, I thought that was, it was really fun, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's Giancarlo Esposito. It's, yeah. you know, Gus Fring. <laughs> That's funny. I yeah. did it. I do, uh, for him as an actor, I do love the idea. Because like normally character actors, I feel like usually end up in like, the quirky realm like you always play the scientist or you always play the um i forget the woman chloe from 24 is the person i always think of like they're oh, just like sure throw her behind a computer exactly yeah and so i think it's always so fascinating that someone can score a role as a character actor just being a fucking boss like i think that's like really uh really impressive let's try and throw him into some of the comedic roles just <laughs> 
put him in the wackiest, <laughs> weirdest, like whoopsie daisy. I did. What's so funny is he's actually uh, one of the stars on like, I think it's the first episode of the Creepshow Anthology on Shudder. It's like him and some other relatively large name actor. And he does like, they play like two older bumpkins, like being attacked by some giant like mo house monster thing. It's really, really stupid. So um, I would say that he should stick to his day job. though <laughs> no, it doesn't really fit super well anywhere else. Um, and so, yeah, in general, what I also like too is that, especially with Elizabeth Shue's character being vaporized, I thought it was really great to see Vought through the eyes of Stan and then see Vought through the eyes of Ashley who went from PR assistant to basically like Homelander's a, a bitch for lack of a better phrase. But it's fascinating to watch how she manages all of the stuff that happened with Vought versus how Elizabeth Shue and the rest of those kind of more like business people used to juggle. Um, I do want to kind of hit on the other major storyline, which kind of involves many a character, including new ones like Ryan, as well as Becca Butcher, who are introduced at the right at the end of the first season. So how did you all feel about the overall kind of triangle between Billy, Homelander, um, Ryan, Becca, and just any storyline for each of those characters in between, just because I know we're coming up on time. Calum? Uh, this worked for me really well. Um, I felt, um, I think Brent made the point about whenever Homelander is in a scene, you feel this tension of like, what's he going to do? These people are in harm's way. And I felt that way about Becca and Ryan. Um, uh, especially, I think a really terrifying scene is when they're on the roof and uh, Homelander says to Ryan, you can fly, you're like me. And he just oh God. pushes him off the, the roof and he just, you know, uh, just, just falls on there. Um, I, I thought that was uh, really well done. And then the other part of it was Butcher trying to save Becca, but like saying, leave Ryan behind, which was, uh, I really like that nuance because Butcher is ostensibly the good guy, the main good guy, but he's a bastard unto himself. And like, he is just trying to get his wife back, who he discovered was alive at the end of the first season. And he doesn't give a shit about her son at all, up until the very end when he has to, you know, keep the promise that he made to, to Becca when she died. But uh, I, I thought that worked really well for me. I was gonna say when he almost murdered the child, but then decided to protect it, which I, I actually really liked that kind of like quick flip um, at, yeah. right at the end of the sequence, Brent. I think basically when you have a child actor, the most you can hope for is that they don't ruin everything. So if they're just kind of passable, you feel like it's okay. But I actually think that uh, the kid get, did a good job and also that the show wrote him pretty decently. The fact that he has this kind of petulant fight with his mom and then sides with Homelander and Stormfront and goes away. And then kind of the day after, or two days after, he's regretting it and kind of wants to change his opinion. I thought that that's very much feels like the way kids act. And then the fact that Homelander is such a uh, unaware father that he doesn't realize that taking this kid into a super social area when he has not really experienced that at all would be, you know, a sensory overload for him. Um, I think that that kind of stuff uh, really felt true. Brian? I like that they don't concentrate on him very much because he's uh, honestly, not that interesting as a character. So, like, use him whenever you need him. Make him blow off a couple people's faces. It was pretty obvious in the ending that he was going to do something big. You you can't for you can't have that loaded gun of like do it when you're angry and then like not have <laughs> it for later. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it hasn't been used this season. It's pretty obvious that it was going to happen. But with that said, uh, I would also want to murder people if I was to Planet Hollywood. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the uh, yes, you're. I think you're right that he's not as interesting. That what was interesting was that he, in the same way that you know, uh, treating the company as pharmaceuticals for Giancarlo Esposito's character was you know leverage for the mother. This is like a, a protection. It's a safety net, you know. And I, I like that sh that was the dynamic. So I'm a little sad that she got killed. Um, rather than harmed in some serious way and then kind of maybe possibly debilitated, but still around. Yeah, I do. I, I really appreciated the overall kind of two season arc that Billy's uh, Carl Urban has really gone through. And I'm a little bit like, well, and now it's going to happen. I know. It, I mean, it sounds like he's probably going to get linked up with Mall Mallory in some case of this like new 
super fairs, uh, government office. I think that's actually how it is a little bit in the book, right? That's kind of like where they even start. Yeah. Part of that. That that's, yeah. Yeah. And that's what kind of makes me a little worried about subsequent seasons. Um, Absolutely. Is I wanted, I, I like the show because it, it deviates from the book and now it feels like it's going through the book, including Garth Ennis's, uh, you know, garbage boatsiderism politics uh, yeah. in the comic. So, Right. Well, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's probably, I'm sure there's a little bit of network mingling on like, yeah, we want to be able to show both sides. I think, I do think they'll do some interesting things um, next season with all of those characters. I mean, Homelander, first of all, the actor is fucking incredible. I mean, like his facial expressions, there's a reason why he, there's so much tension in the room because he yeah. acts like he's just, he's like not even chewing scenery. He's just like, fucking tearing it apart like it's just impressive the way he moves when he's like he goes insane as the character um and i just love that so much and i i'm fascinated that like homelander just has like mom the issues that this character has just keep building and i find it so fast like everyone that he always ends up getting attached to is usually destroyed by the end of the season which is fine because he's an awful person and usually they are too but it is like it's such an interesting watch of a descent into madness uh, for this person. And I, I did really like the juxtaposition, particularly during the scene where they were teaching Ryan how to shoot uh, lasers out of his eyes. Um, a very, very like amazing exchange into sort of subtle nuance between, you know, how Homelander sees things, how Stormfront sees things, how Ryan sees things. Yeah. Um, and just, I loved even the idea that it was never, he wasn't really dragged along by, he likes, likes Stormfront's power. I think we were talking about, Brent, I really like the idea of just talking about power in general, how you get it, how you keep it, where it comes from, what it is. Um, and I just, I found it so fascinating that like, he was even like, uh, what the fuck are you talking about, Stormfront? But also, oh, yeah. okay, this is fine. Trying to convert him to being a, a Nazi, <laughs> Nazi. <laughs> real quick. And it was just, that I just found like all really well done. And, and I do think that Billy and Becca's relationship and sort of subsequent back and forth on whether or not they could escape. I thought all felt relatively real and natural until the big finale when all the waterworks came out because they couldn't just get in a fucking car and drive away. Um, Ryan, what were you gonna say? I, I, do, I do kind of like the, like this is the superhero of the week in terms of like uh, sort of the Harry Potter model of like, there's gonna be someone invited to the seven. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're immediately the worst person ever and then immediately gonna get gutted or something's gonna happen to it. Cause it does fit, it's a little bit formulaic. It's it's very obvious, but also I do sort of like that crazy spin on it. it. It makes sense for me in future seasons if they keep that up, honestly. Well, and so we do like right now, the seven is really the five. Yeah, they were at exactly. the end. Eight, eight trains now back, and they also Black Noir will hopefully, well, maybe not hopefully, but probably will come out of um, the hospital. Uh, and I know that they've already announced uh, Jensen Ackles from Supernatural will be Soldier Boy, uh, and yeah. I think they're playing around with that character a lot. Oh, he's fucked up. You're gonna love him. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, is there? Do you all know from the books? Is there like a seventh person you could think of that they'll probably bring into the next season? It, I haven't. Oh, what were you going to say, Caitlin? No, I uh, I was just going to say, I don't remember the book very much because it's been a number of years since I've read it all the way through and I have no desire to go back. Uh, but <laughs> Eric uh, Kripke was the showrunner for Supernatural. And so he's worked with uh, Jensen uh, Jensen Eccles, right? Uh, who's going to be playing yep. Super Soldier Boy. So I, I am actually kind of interested in that because uh, he's actually a, he's actually a, an underrated actor. I think he's... Uh, he, well, he's, again, easy on the eyes, but also his comedic timing is fantastic. Um, so I'm interested to see what they do with their Captain America. Totally. He's good. Right. I think he's going to be good. Um, I, I, so many people have wanted him for, like, a superhero role for, like, so long, too. People have, like, tried to cast him in MCU roles and stuff like that. I'm excited for him. Um, I There's a bunch of, like, secondary characters uh, that they could easily slot into that seventh role. But even if they created a character, I'd kind of be up for that. I think we're beyond the source material now. Right. So, like, we should try to figure out something else. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah, so we got a couple minutes left. Let's kind of do wrap-ups just to close out some of our characters, too, and then maybe ask you where, you, where they're going to go next. So Kimiko and Frenchie are now, you know, best pals. They're going dancing. They've learned sign language. 
um, really great experience kind of ending for them and, and really their journey of their relationship, I thought was kind of built out pretty nicely. So I'd love to hear what you think is going to happen to them next. And then we've also got another love lamb. We've got Huey and Starlight, who, which I, I was kind of happy with, didn't really do a whole lot this season, <laughs> kind of just drove from place to place trying to solve Compound V, the Compound V exposure and get it out there. So it's like, again, very built into the plot as a necessity, but not super growth for them besides their just ongoing relationship, which I found really sweet. What do you all think might be uh, next for the, for the two couples? Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to say that Starlight, the actress, is not good. And those, <laughs> those injections she got in her lips, if they're for the role, then good work. But otherwise, I am distracted constantly by those fake-ass lips that she has now. And it's so, it's so jarring. I, de- I don't identify with this character anymore. I think she's sort of weak in, term- in terms of characterization. I kind of hope they're just in a happy relationship and nothing happens because I don't want to visit it anymore. I'm kind of over it. I just want to see a successful relationship go on during this time frame, but like it probably won't happen. I'm over yeah. her completely. Ryan, you'll be happy to know that the lips are for the show. She actually took them from Huey and then <laughs> added them to the show. Uh, And I was going to quickly say that you're, so the thing that uh, Andrew, my, like uh, for listeners, my boyfriend, we despite, she basically became Jean Grey the, from the animated series. She got pushed around so much. You're like, she's so yeah. super strong. She's got fucking light powers. She is constantly getting the shit beaten out of her this season. And it's, it's just like, I'm like, oh, what a great, like, empowered character in the first season that they because they backseated due to storyline purposes she was i think she was like still all there at the first half and then i think in the second half she really took a backseat Just, like the whole, yes the sneakiness with stormfront uh in terms of getting like lots of really good stuff on the front end she played with gecko really happy i do agree with you ryan though it's like what i don't want is them to have the these two play these two couples cannot go back to a will they won't they again they can certainly have ups and downs but I don't want to have to deal with them breaking. Like they did a really good job, I think, of bringing the two of them together, Huey and uh, Starlight in particular, I thought, from just their ongoing conversations and relationships and individual experiences. So it's like, make it stick. Like I wasn't, I wasn't watching the show to find out if they would fall in love. Just let them fall in love and keep growing in that love. Brent? I think uh, in the next season, one thing I'm, I'm hoping for, but makes me a little bit worried is, you know, it seems like a lot of the, open ends um, are, are pretty, pretty broad and pretty hard to construe how they might fit together. So I, my hope is that they already have a vision for how uh, Newman as a character will work because her putting attacks on these very disparate groups at kind of random times for the most part, uh, it needs to be a part of some plan in order to feel a little bit more justified. Um, Having a character like the telekinetic, I'm, I'm interested in. I think that there, there's a lot you can do with that, but I worry that it's going to be a simple revenge story um, and that it might fall a little bit flat. Um, so I want, them, I, I want them to have another strong character like Stormfront, other characters that really feel like they, we know what their motivations are and they move with purpose. This is a very out there thing, and I maybe I mixed up what they were talking about in the show, but didn't they reference that there like someone was a kind of something, not like a super? Like, is there any way that like Newman would be some sort of alien or something? I doubt that the show really did, like the boys dealt with that in the comics. So, so, no, actually, so in the comics, there one of the original seven was actually an alien. Oh, it was okay. it was like Mar- Martian Manhunter. So like if. If they worked that in and that was like the reveal that he's actually in fact, or she or whatever, uh, but like is actually an alien, that would be pretty cool. Because they have not touched upon that at all. Jalen? Yeah, I I actually disagree with that. I think if the show wants to be an exploration of power, to Brent's point earlier, then I think um, the way that could work is the backstory is that they are an alien, but they're just another Vought baby. Like, I think the show works better when these characters are the result of a, an individual entity trying to enter, uh, create um, uh, superpowered beings into the world and whether they're good or bad or whatever, uh, they are the main cause of it. I think adding in an additional sort of like 
extra normal, extraterrestrial sort of thing, I think would sort of take me out of the show. Yeah. I do, um, uh, I, I would say, I, like, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens next, but I'm also a little nervous about seeing what happens next because thematically, I would like for the show to still talk about the exploration of power, um, but I think they might start relying more and more on the, on the source material and uh, that that worries me a little bit where we're going to see season one was surprisingly good. Season two had some great highs, but also some, you know, some some lows for me, at least. And then season three could be like, well, we're just going to do what Garth Ennis did from issues 30 to 40, you know, um, just to you for, for argument's sake. I, I think I think there could be a problem there. But my favorite I'm is like judging it too early. It's just like the opposite of Game of Thrones. They're like, we should start following the source material. And I was like, no, don't, don't do it at all. Stop reading. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, the only reason why I brought up the alien thing is because I was thinking about to your, we were talking about how to fix the Newman character, the Newman reveal. And I was like, that's the only kind of, it, it doesn't, I think it still creates more and more. It gets away from, I think it's core messaging and, and values. But I, I think there's a way that that seems like a plausible spin out of like, it's a secret invasion type shit, um, which they can also blame on bot. Uh, last point, Ryan. Can we give it up for Susan Rayner? Because I love that bitch so much. The <laughs> FBI agent. <laughs> and then I won't. Did yeah. you no no yeah no the the one that got her head exploded did you yeah. did you see that the little... that was truly shocking I was not expecting that at all oh, that was okay. a shock of the season and, and did you all read like or pick up or read the Easter egg of like they were like who would do this and it immediately yes. cut to Newman exactly first, first yeah appearance, which that was pretty cool um, well so great this has been the boys uh, obviously hopefully you've watched it you loved it you hated it you listened to us talk. Um, and we'll be here for season three next year. Is that when it's coming out? Yep. All right. Brent, do you want to tell everybody where we, they can find us? Sure. They can find us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud. We're on Instagram at Homo Superior. Uh, we're on Twitter at Homo Superior X. Um, yeah. But our regular episodes are every Monday. And our ongoing uh, Crossing Swords episodes are every Friday. Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye. Bye.